Oh, so this is the thanks I get for working overtime. Overtime! You think you know me. go live from the white call hard seltzer studios it's overtime with william pattison jace brown and dawson wise joining you on a thursday night thank you so much for joining us 865-546-8200 your number if you want to hop in and join our thursday night edition of overtime later in the hour we'll talk about nick saban and jim harbaugh both now gone from college football what that means for the college football landscape going forward and as always we'll give our best bets at the end of the hour but we begin today's episode with some Vols bracketology. ESPN's Joe Lenardi released his updated men's bracketology on Tuesday as the college basketball season is now in full swing. Lenardi slated the 14-4 Volunteers as the fifth-best team and the highest-ranked two-seed in the tournament. Now, the one-seeds consisted of Purdue, Houston, UConn, and North Carolina. The two-seeds consisted of Tennessee, Wisconsin, Arizona, and Kansas. Uh, guys, we'll begin with this. Is the Vols or are the Vols being slated as a two seed just right, or could use some fixing? Dawson? Uh, as of right now, I think it's it's a perfect spot. Um, you're fourth in the Ken Palm rankings, so maybe you could argue you're the last one seed right now. But just based on how the records have, have panned out and how strength of schedules panned out, I think the fifth overall seed is, is a good spot for for Tennessee. They've got some big games coming up as well that I think are going to help move this around a little bit. You get a couple wins against Auburn and Kentucky, maybe you bump into the one seed, and then you're looking at a lot better spot. This is about where I expected Tennessee to be it was in somewhere you know the two three seed sure. range. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's gone up as we've seen Dalton Connect take over this team and really elevate this team to new heights. Um, I, my expectation has gone up, mm-hmm. uh, but this is about where I where I figured they would be, uh, and I think it's a pretty fair ranking right now. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think two is right where the sweet spot where they need to be. I think I think the number one two seed uh, is probably just about right too. I think this team uh, is pretty much in in my opinion a top five team. Uh, and every everybody, it feels like everybody at the top hasn't really separated themselves too much from each other. Everybody's kind of bunched up at the top. Uh, losses here and there from each team has kind of shuffled those things around. Purdue finally making it back up into that one seed. Uh, not a big surprise, but uh, as for the body of work so far from the Vols, they've had some big wins. Uh, took a weird loss at Mississippi State, which is a tough spot to lose at, but uh, it feels like everybody in front of them had one of those losses too. So not too big of a deal, too. Feels just about right. Yeah, when you look at the teams in front of you, and that's where you kind of got to be better than uh, Purdue. 
uh, a team that beat us in Maui. Uh, Houston, really good defensively, has been good over the past couple of years. Obviously, they've done really well in Big 12 basketball this year, moving up from the American. Uh, UConn, I think, is still one of the best teams in college basketball coming off their run last year. Uh, Donovan Clinigan back in the lineup for them as well. An even tougher guard. It'll be interesting to see what they look like now with him back in the mix in Big East play. And then North Carolina, another team that we played on the road. A really good second half from us, but really uh, kind of dug in your heels early on and uh, weren't able to get back into the game. Um, so I, I think Tennessee at a two-seed is a perfect spot. Um, I think it's very fair. Obviously, um, you'd want to get as far as you can. You know, love to have a number one seed. I can't remember the last time Tennessee had that, if they ever have. Um, but I, I think Tennessee at a two-seed, the highest-ranked two-seed, is, is a very fair spot. Um, so now let's look at the the south region is where uh, Lenardi placed the Vols, and you had North Carolina as a one seed, as I mentioned, and then uh, Seton Hall, Nebraska, the eight and nine, Alabama at number five, a team that just got a win last night um, with against either Cincinnati or Oregon in, in the first four game, and then Baylor and Drexel, Colorado State, I think is a very interesting team. Uh, Lamar Stevens is a great point guard for them, even though they lost last night to Nevada, um, and then Kansas State, Ole Miss would also be in that mix as well. Ole Miss is a team that we beat here pretty handily uh, just a couple weeks ago Marquette as a three seed and then Michigan State and New Mexico will be that 7-10 slot so if Tennessee were to beat St. Peter's at 15 it's this is where uh, Lenardi has the Vols Um, New Mexico a team that I've watched a lot this year they play really good defensively high-paced coached by Rick Pitino's son um, and Michigan State's a team that obviously know is very well coached Mm -hmm. Um, you saw them at the beginning of the year in that exhibition game where obviously it was just an exhibition game where Tennessee looked really good in that one as well. Kind of was a, a little bit of a hint of what the season may look like. Um, now, this is hypothetical, and as we were talking about in there, I'm not a hypothetical guy, uh, but just taking a glance at this projected region, uh, what stands out about the Vols' path to a possible Final Four? A couple things to me. The first thing is rematches, rematches, rematches. These yeah. are, this is a lot of teams that Tennessee has seen before, a lot of teams that have seen us already. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, typically in the tournament, you don't see a lot of that, uh, no. where you get teams matched up against teams that they've played. It's just so happens our conference and non-conference schedule has lined up this way. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's a good thing yet. Obviously, you beat Michigan State in an exhibition game. You get them in the second round. They have fallen off just a little bit since you played them in that exhibition game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that matchup. Don't necessarily like having North Carolina and Alabama on the other side of the of yeah. that region. Mm-hmm. That's not a great matchup. But even though the Vols had that big win against Alabama, still, I mean, they're number one offensively in the country yeah. for a reason. North Carolina, obviously, the dominant team that, that we have seen. Um, so rematches are huge. You could have a lot. You get a four potential rematches just mm-hmm. in the first four rounds of the. Tournament. Tournament. So uh, I don't know if I like that yet. Uh, but again, very hypothetical at this mm-hmm. point. The second thing, there's some sneaky good teams in this region. Seton yeah. Hall has been playing some excellent basketball over the past several weeks. Uh, they were one I was looking at. Nebraska has played well at yeah. times this year. You mentioned Colorado State. Uh, Marquette, I think, is a very good team as well. So it's not the toughest path, I don't think, that, that he could have put the Vols in. Um, but it's certainly not the easiest between rematches and some of the quality that they have mm-hmm. in that part of the bracket. Yeah, it feels like those like three through six seeds are kind of 
kind of like the ones that I've been looking at because, I mean, those teams are always ones that kind of surprise us. I mean, UConn from a four played, what, San Diego State as a five last year in the national title game. So those teams are always dangerous, uh, especially on our side uh, of it right now. I mean, you see Marquette, like you said, Marquette, uh, a team that was runner-up in the Maui Invitational, didn't get to see them, but they played really well in that tournament, uh, gave Purdue a good run. Uh, another one down there, Colorado State, one of those mid-major squads that always seems to be poking around uh, – in the rankings, that they're always up there. Uh, they're a feisty little team. Uh, as for the other side, Baylor, they're always good. They're always mm-hmm. scrappy. So uh, just some of these like oddly big-name schools that are all pushed into one another in this uh, bracket so far, uh, looking pretty lethal for, uh, for the for the South region. Yeah, once again, a hypothetical just South region uh, uh, provided by Joe Lenardi. But when I look at it, I see a lot of really good basketball teams, a lot of sneaky ones. Obviously, North Carolina, uh, Tennessee, we know what they are. Uh, we know what Marquette is with Cam Jones and Tyler Kolick. Um, but there are a couple of these teams that are kind of in the in the grass a little bit. Baylor's a team that I think is very well coached, got a lot of guys that will be playing in the NBA here in a couple of years. Um, that would be a tough matchup with their big size. Um, and, and back to the Michigan State-New Mexico spot. I think either of those those teams could very well upset Tennessee in that situation. Not saying I don't believe in Rick Barnes and what he's done with this team, but um, I've had a, a fair amount of times watching New Mexico, and they've got some really good guard play with Jalen House uh, and Mashburn, two guys that have done a really good job in, in uh, what, what is it, uh, Mountain West play. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, Michigan State's a team, Tom Mizzo, you know, had this team making a tournament run last year with a, a team that wasn't that great either. And we've seen Tom Izzo, you know, kind of trot through the regular season with a, what we think is a mediocre Michigan State team. And then, boom, come tournament time, oh, wait, they're in the Sweet 16 now because they're just really well coached and got guys that can make plays. Um, and then the Colorado State, Kansas State, Ole Miss little bubble there. Kansas State, uh, coached by Jerome Tang, just had that team in the Elite Eight last year. Very well could have gone on to the Final Four if the ball bounced a different way. Um, he comes from that um, that tree uh, from – what's uh, Baylor's coach's name? Remind me. Um, Ooh, it's, it's failing me now, too. Blanken. Um, Bry- Bryce Drew. Yeah, Bryce I Drew. Think that so, sounds yeah. right. Um, from the Bry- from the Drew tree, we'll just say last name. I know yeah. it's I, I know he's got a brother <laughs> that used to coach at Vanderbilt as well. But um, a lot of good basketball teams, and also uh, Alabama, uh, a team that you know you see in the tournament, no home court advantage. Nate Oates is a very very good coach. Has done well in the tournament even before he was at Alabama. Um, so even though it's just hypothetical, a lot of a lot of tough matchups if this were to stand, and I think Tennessee would have to. You know, play their best ball every night like you have to do in the tournament. But a couple of interesting matchups, and in, in Tennessee could be uh, very well on to Cancun if, if things go wrong. Well, this is where I talked about last night. I think it's so beneficial the out of conference schedule you've yeah. had this season, just how many good teams you've gotten yeah. to play, how many you're going to get to play over the next few weeks as well. I think that helps a ton when it comes to tournament play. You're playing in games that have a tournament feel to them. Uh, even early in the season, I felt like some of those games, they had a big game feel to them in mm-hmm. Maui. So you've played several of those already in, where in years past you hadn't played those games until you got to the March Madness tournament. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you go in and you lose to a team in the Sweet 16, where this year the experience I think is going to help them in yeah. a big way when we get yeah. there. And, I mean, even in those, like, early season tournaments, those are still uh, at times where some of these teams still haven't found their identity. I know the Vols didn't uh, for sure on the offensive side of things. Maybe even a little bit on the defensive side. They were giving up some big-time points. Gave up 100 to North Carolina. Uh, so maybe some learning experiences early in the year uh, might turn around and be uh, 
pretty implemental for a tournament run. I think you talk about that out-of-conference schedule, something that Tennessee, uh, you know, obviously we've played teams out-of-conference in those bad boy motors tournaments in, in, in Atlantis, uh, but as we talked about yesterday, really didn't get as many quality teams in those tournaments as we did in the Maui tournament and also playing a team like Illinois at home, going to Wisconsin, which I think is a kind of an underrated win at this point because uh, Wisconsin's played great basketball. They're like number 13 or something yeah, right now. Yeah, they great. played really good basketball in Big Ten. Um, and and uh, what was the other one? Uh, going to North Carolina as well. Those yeah. those five games are tournament teams and teams that could very well beat you in a tournament. And Tennessee at least now has experienced some tape from those games. And, and if you go down the line and have to face a Purdue again, a face a North Carolina again, you can go back and look at film of how you stacked up and what you need to do to improve. So I think, uh, in a sense, that's to Tennessee's advantage as well. Um, but I want to go back to talking about a specific team. That's Alabama, who was able to defeat Auburn last night at home. And as it stands, there are three teams with just one loss atop the SEC with an upset in Kentucky on Tuesday kind of shaking up things. Uh, how wide open is the SEC and is it for the Vols to lose? It's as, as wide open as it can get. And I think it helps that these three teams that are up top of the SEC have yet to play each other for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still have two Tennessee-Kentucky matchups tied at the top of the SEC. That could swing the conference. Those yeah. two games could easily swing the conference. Um, so it it is absolutely as wide open as it gets. It's whoever is hot in those games. If Tennessee manages to go on a run at the end of the year, put together some good performances, win a couple against Kentucky, then yeah, I think it is absolutely the, the conference for the Vols to lose. Um, at this point, um, at least, and all three now have lost to inferior opponents that mm-hmm. are up there. Yeah, uh, you know, Auburn loses to Bama last night. Bama has their own losses. Kentucky loses to South Carolina earlier in the week, mm-hmm. and frankly, did not look good in that game no. either. Uh, and then obviously Tennessee goes to Starkville and loses to a Mississippi State team that was good defensively, but that's it. Yeah. I mean, not a team you should be losing to. But all three are down, even with this. Yeah, all at one loss. I think it, it's absolutely the balls to lose this. Yeah, one. yeah. I mean, especially when you take into account the last four SEC games that Tennessee has slated. I mean, they're going to be at Alabama. They're going to be hosting Auburn, two teams that are right up there at the top with them. Uh, also at South Carolina, who again had that sneaky win against Kentucky, and then at home against Kentucky to round things out. So, I mean, that last two weeks of play for the Vols can really, like you said, that can really swing things around, uh, especially if these other teams, uh, like you get like a Missouri beating like a random Alabama on a – Wednesday night I mean you could really see things turn around so I mean I feel I still do think it is up in the air but I mean the destiny does lie in the hands of the Vols yeah 865-546-8200 your number if you want to hop in and join us on overtime uh now JC we're not here yesterday Mm -hmm. so I want to ask you uh one of the things we talked about yesterday uh who is the x factor on this team in in terms of making a, a run in the tournament for the Vols in your opinion um, right now, I believe Jonas Adu might be my answer. Just because, I mean, we've seen over the last few weeks he's been starting to put up some monster numbers against uh, maybe some inferior interior uh, guys on the other teams. But uh, the one thing that I have thought about is, you know, those games against, uh, you know, Hunter Dickinson of Kansas, Zach Eady of Purdue, uh, Armando Baycott at North Carolina. Whenever you face those guys, I mean, it's kind of like we see like a step down or like a back away. Uh, I think that's one thing that really he needs to hone in on, which he does have the ability. He's Mm -hmm. proven that he's a top-tier big man in this league. It's just he's got to take that next step to where, oh, whenever you get out of your comfort zone, can you still find a way to thrive and make things happen? I think he's going to be really surgical for how this team works, especially since, oh, every team knows that Dalton Connect can go yeah. in and score yeah. anywhere. 
Yeah, I, I think Adu's importance is, is is very important, and I think he's really done well this year, especially in SEC mm. play. And uh, going back to the the question of how wide open the SEC is, um, you know, I, I think we've seen SEC basketball get more and more competitive each year. Um, and you've got a lot of good teams, a lot of teams that can win and lose every night. Uh, and Tennessee's right up at the top right now. And I think you have the opportunity to stand pat. And look, we, we dove into it yesterday. Some tough matchups at Texas A&M, at Arkansas in back-to-back games. That's a stretch where you've got to get it done and go on the road and win a game. Um, and then that end stretch to the season where you play uh, Alabama, Kentucky, South Carolina. That, that run right there, and Auburn as well, uh, that run is something that could totally change the standings of the SEC. Um, and the end goal is not to just win the SEC, but obviously winning the SEC means means a lot and it means that you're a really good basketball team and you want to have that momentum going into the tournament in the SEC and also the the, the March Madness tournament as well. So um, I think it's in a sense the Vols to lose because of where they stand right now, um, but you have to continue to execute and continue to get big wins on the road. Uh, let's head to the phones here, 865-546-8200, your number if you want to hop in. We've got Bruce on the line. What's up, Bruce? Hey, how y'all doing? Doing well. How are you? Uh, doing great. So I got uh, two things to talk about. So basketball for one. So I think the Vols have the uh, a great opportunity to win the conference. Okay, uh, but where where they have stumbled in the past is when uh, they they get into this uh, three ball and they shoot and they shoot and they shoot. Then they go cold. Uh, Rick Barnes doesn't adjust to. Uh, the I guess the the um, the lack of performance uh, on the three, and if if he could learn to uh, change, change make a call a timeout make a change uh, and and put the ball underneath the basket uh, to get the two point going, I think the Vols have a great chance to win the conference all the way. Uh, so I'm just making that as a comment. I, I think that's the big hurdle for. Uh, for the Vols, uh, so when they when they go cold, Barnes has to call a timeout. They have to readjust and start working the two ball so they can get something going to stay in the game. Uh, so that's just a comment. The other thing is uh, relates to football. So uh, when does the gate close for the, for the portal? And, and there's merit to that that question. Uh, I mean, is there a certain date that you can no longer transfer the season is yours uh, for 2024? That's a question. So I can tell you just real quick, um, the portal for most teams is already closed in terms of guys that were in the winter portal. Uh, it does reopen in the spring, I think in, in April or Something so. Something like that, uh, yeah. After, either after spring ball or before, right before spring ball, um, it opens again. Now, for teams that have had coaching changes, uh, there is a 30-day period for those players to transfer uh, after so now that Harbaugh is left for the Chargers, for example, they those players have 30 days to transfer. Alabama players, I think, are still in their window mm-hmm. as well. Uh, Washington players, Arizona teams like that, those players can still transfer for the most part. The window for the winter is already closed. Yeah, so it okay. opens on December 4th, closes on January 4th, and then a spring window is open for 15 days in April, yeah. April 15th to the 30th. Yeah. Um, 
So that allows, I guess, once you've kind of gotten your roster, if, you, if you're if you a player, kind of figure out you're not going to be in the mix or, or not where you want to be, you can re-enter uh, for that 15-day period. But, um, you know, with Alabama losing a lot of guys and, and Washington losing a lot of guys, it's brought, in, it's brought in the question up, should that be changed? Because, in a sense, Alabama's kind of handicapped now to where they're not really able to bring in anyone unless it's a, a, a team that has already lost their coach themselves. So I think it's something to look at as we go on. And obviously we're still in the infancy of NIL and the transfer portal in college football. But I think it's something that should be looked at because, in a sense, it's a little bit unfair. I know uh, nothing is unfair to Alabama, but it's, in a sense, unfair that these guys are just losing their players and not really able to go back and, and recruit any other, other new ones. Um, so I think it's definitely something that they should look into uh, maybe critiquing. Okay, good. So, so uh, the reason why I asked that question is, uh, so, so there is a rumor, and I don't know how big the rumor is or small rumor, but uh, that uh, uh, Brian Kelly will be leaving uh, LSU to go to Michigan. And so you've got Michigan, you've got LSU, and you've got Washington, uh, who, uh, and Tennessee still needs some players. So I was just curious to know uh, kind of, you know, who, who could be or, you know, is there any thought that uh, that could help the Vols? And, and really, where would we go to, uh, to you know, what position is the most important? Uh, to me, if you're looking for players to bring in, I think really the only thing you really need right now is uh, DBs, mm-hmm. uh, which is already pretty thin. And obviously you bring in a couple of guys in Jim Ron McCoy um, and the, the McMurray kid from Temple. Um, but – you know, bringing in LSU DBs, even though they were gosh awful yeah, this horrible. year, um, but bringing in Michigan DBs or Alabama DBs would be a huge increase. But really, um, you've kind of got most of your ro- roster figured out at this point. Um, I-, I can't see them going after any offensive lineman with the Lance Hurd uh, coming over from LSU already. Um, and then I-, I can't really see adding any receivers. You- you've got Brew McCoy coming back, uh, Chris Brazell um, from Tulane. Uh, obviously, Squirrel White's still there. Mike Matthews from the recruiting class. Um, really, I think the only thing they could go out and get is maybe a linebacker and, and maybe a, a couple more DBs for depth or possibly starters. Um, I think that's a, those are the really only needs. Um, and, and to also touch on the less miles to Michigan thing, I know um, that's kind of one of the rumors right now. I'd, I'd have a hard time believing that, that he actually goes to Michigan, in my opinion. I think he likes where he is in the South right now, um, especially with Nick Saban going. On. Um, he knows not only he can, can kind of control now uh, the SEC and recruiting, um, and also Louisiana is a lot better spot to recruit to and recruit out of compared to Michigan where the, the, the talent pool and the amount of players coming out of Louisiana are a little bit different than Michigan. Um, you got a lot bigger boys down in Louisiana. Um, so I, I, I'd have a hard time seeing him move, especially considering he just came from Notre Dame, which is uh, similar uh, in retrospect to Michigan. Um, I, I, I would be shocked if he, if he left. Okay, okay. Uh, well, that's good feedback. And then one last thing, and then I'll hang up. Uh, so you got the NFL this weekend. Uh, and, and I don't want to put y'all on the spot, but uh, can y'all na- – and I don't know. That's why I'm asking the question. Uh, can you name some of the balls that might be playing this weekend and, and how they might have an impact uh, on the game? So uh, go balls, and I'm going to hang up. 
All right, thank you for your call, Bruce. Uh, yeah, let's see. For the Chiefs, Trey Smith obviously is the home run hitter there. Um, with Joe Tooney likely out for the Chiefs, their Pro, pro Bowl offensive lineman, uh, Smith's going to have to step up against a very ferocious Ravens defense, the number one in defensive DVOA, um, playing on the road where it's going to be loud in a ruckus environment. Trey Smith's going to have a huge impact mm-hmm. uh, in, in that game for the Chiefs. Um, and then you've got Cam Sutton. Uh, for uh, for the Lions. Now, that defense has uh, been reeling as of late, in particular that pass defense. Um, so he's going to have to kind of flip the script a little bit um, if, the, 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 if the Lions want to have some more success because uh, they've been getting torched as of late. Um, I, Cam Sutton and, and, and Trey Smith are the first two. That, uh, I guess Jalen Reeves-Maben as well. Yes, that's the first one that popped yeah. in my head. Yeah, Jalen Reeves-Maben for the Lions as well, who's been a captain for them uh, at linebacker. Also, we see him in, in some special teams plays. I think it was Thanksgiving. He ran a fake fake punt for them. I, I remember. Did, yeah. I, yeah. Now I don't think they'll be doing that in a game like this. <laughs> you uh, might have to desperate measures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, Jawan Jennings for the 49ers. Uh, Debo Samuel could be out for, in this game. Uh, former South Carolina player. Um, so. Uh, Jawan Jennings would have to step up for the 49ers, make some plays with Debo, a big chunk of their offense gone. Um, so Jennings, Reeves Mabin, Sutton, Smith, am I missing any here? Uh, Emmanuel Mosley, I think, is also on the Lions roster. Okay, okay. Yeah, obviously, Hendon Hooker, if you want to count that, yeah. he is on the <laughs> yeah. active roster for Detroit. And yeah. He will be playing, but yeah. would still be you know, a pretty cool story. Yeah, well, if Hendon Hooker plays, and that means something's going wrong in Detroit, whether either Jared Goff has gotten injured or uh, he's I mean, that, thrown that, five a, interceptions. That, that's a hell of a debut if you got to make it, though, AFC, or NFC title game. I, mean, yeah. I don't I don't know if that would be the spot I'd want to come in yeah. as my first uh, first snaps in the NFL. Um, let's see. I, uh, is uh, T. Martin still the quarterback's coach in Baltimore? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yep. Okay, yep. there's another one. All right, Dawson. Uh, T. Martin, quarterback's coach. He's done a great job this year with Very, Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Very. Um, that offense has been great under Todd Munkin, former Georgia offensive coordinator. Um, so I think I think that's it. that has to be it, right? Yeah, I believe I, so. I think that's it. If yeah. we're missing any other ones, I, I guess we're just uh, I guess we're just wrong or, or don't can't remember them. But I think we hit the the. The impactful ones, yeah, I think, the big to say ones. the least. Yeah. All right, that's going to wrap us up here on the first segment of Overtime. Come right back, and we'll be back for more with Saban and Harbaugh, both gone for the college football landscape. What does that mean? Coming up next on Overtime. Making a better vodka soda ain't rocket science. You just got to start with a better vodka. And then voila, you get White Claw Vodka Soda. Your taste buds are about to get a PhD in deliciousness. JB Smooth only drinks vodka soda made with the world's smoothest vodka. Try the all-new White Claw Vodka Soda. Pick up a variety pack of their four delicious flavors. Only 100 calories, 4.5% alcohol, and 2 grams of sugar. White Claw Vodka Soda. Please drink responsibly. Are you ready to elevate your driving experience? Then you need to head over to your hometown dealership, Parkside Kia, home of the lifetime warranty. Discover the latest Kia cars and SUVs where technology meets style. Our friendly staff is here to make your car buying experience a breeze. Don't wait. Visit Parkside Kia today and drive home in the Kia of your dreams. Check them out online at parksidekia.com and visit their showroom at 9929 Parkside Drive. Parkside Kia. 
where your journey begins. Rogers Utility Solutions, a division of Rogers Hydrant Service, is a family-run Tennessee-based business since 2015. Now serving municipalities and residences in 14 states, Rogers offers fire hydrant flow testing, distribution flushing, and maintenance programs in accordance with ISO standards. Rogers also offers hydrant repair and installation, and they have the capability of repairing hydrants under pressure. For more information on Rogers' new sewer maintenance program, complete with mapping, cleaning, and camera inspecting, visit rogershydrantservice.com. Ever been the coach who realized the team's gear just wasn't up to par? Well, if I'm being honest, that was me. Just a downright irresponsible and plain bad coach. Then, SM Athletics changed the game. I want you to picture this. I walk into their store, a coach with a vision. SM Athletics didn't just see a coach. They saw a team's potential. And they delivered custom uniforms so striking. Our team's spirit soared. From cutting-edge apparel to top-notch equipment, SM Athletics transformed our presence. No more unreliable online orders or envying the other team's style. SM Athletics stands for quality, design, and on-time delivery every time. Coaches, elevate your team with SM Athletics. Call 865 966-3434 or visit smathletics.com. Get the best for your team. Delivered right and on time. So, elevate your team's game by contacting SM Athletics today. They are our love bugs and companions. They are our pets, our family, and they make life better. When we face unexpected challenges, so do our pets. That's why we're on a mission to support people and their pets. Whether donating a bag of kibble, sharing an Instagram post of a lost cat, or welcoming a foster pet into your home, every bit of kindness counts. Visit petsandpeopletogether.org to learn how to be a helper in your community. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. I met her down at Althea. She said that she saw me walking in about a mile away. Bean just had to take her phone and I just took her smile away. She said I'm too drunk and crazy. She don't like the way I dance. I said you don't have to join this. She said she'd take a chance. I've been kind of crazy ever since they went down. I got kind of lost and baby, this what I found. Girls like you just want to take me around, around, and around. All oh, Back here on Overtime, Morgan Wallen bringing us back to the next segment. All right, good good stuff right there. Uh, look, these are not Broadway girls, but they're uh, Saban and Harbaugh, and they're uh, pretty important as well. Both gone now from the college football landscape. Uh, just a couple weeks after Nick Saban announced he would step away from coaching football for the Alabama Crimson Tide, Jim Harbaugh has agreed to make, to make the jump to the NFL level and coach the Los Angeles Chargers. Two of the greatest coaches in college football history are now gone from the college football landscape, which could open opportunities for different teams and coaches uh, to prevail. Uh, what does Saban's and Harbaugh's departure mean for college football? This feels like a passing of the torch, changing of the guard kind of moment in a college football that I think was already headed that way anyway in terms of just an even playing field, uh, NIL and the transfer portal. Now you have two guys that, you know, Saban had done it for 17 years at Alabama, Harbaugh for almost 10 at Michigan, um, playing really high-level football, coaching high-level football. They depart at the same time. Uh, I mean, it just makes it even more chaotic and even as we get into an era of college football where everyone is now relatively level in terms of what they can and can't do. Um it's it's a it's a big moment for a lot of teams. It feels like a moment you can take advantage. I and mean, we saw a few teams start to do it uh, in the last season. You know, Alabama falls in the playoff semifinal. Mm-hmm. Haven't been able to say that yeah. very much. Yeah. Uh, we had an SC or a, a 
title game without an SEC team, without an Alabama for what felt like the first time in a while. In a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so this welcomes in that new era in college football, and I'm excited to see where it goes because it feels like ev- everyone else now gets a chance to get right back in the mix. Yeah, yeah it feels like we're running out of like these old-school coaches that you remember just uh, being around growing up. Like, I mean, only one that you could maybe think of, maybe Brian Kelly for the most part, might be the only one standing out because, I mean, you get younger guys like Josh Heupel. hate to say it, Shane Beamer is still going to be sticking around, Clark Lee and Vandy. I mean, these young guys that maybe not are great, but it's just going to usher in a new era of college football to where uh, these perennial powerhouses might not be that so much anymore. I mean, we've got the buildup of Georgia happening already. Florida State's getting a lot better uh, under Norvell, so we should we could see those start getting up there. But uh, yeah, it's it's still just mind blowing that three of the four college football playoff teams are uh, under new head coaches or are about to be uh, this coming season still. Yeah, I think that. The departure of Saban and Harbaugh uh, now kind of opens up for that next great college football coach. And uh, Les Miles is obviously, or not Les Miles, goodness gosh. Uh, Brian Kelly is, uh, I've got LSU on my mind. Um, Brian Kelly is probably still towards the top of that list. Uh, Dabo Sweeney, what you think of him in, in this day and age of college football is towards the top of the list. Um I think Dan Lanning is a guy that could very well become the next, you know, a big prodigy, big, big, big time college football coach. There are a lot of names out there. Mike Norvell as well had a lot of success with Florida State, really kind of turned that program around. Um, but I think it just opens college football up even more. And I think the transfer portal in IL already did that because now you're seeing teams that can kind of rebuild things in in one to two years and become competitive again just based off the fact of who's their coach and what their NIL fund is and and what conference they play in. And I think if you can hit on all three of those, you could very well get a a, a dynasty, if you will, uh, rolling. So I think, you know, with Oregon and and Washington now moving to the Big Ten, uh, USC and and UCLA as well, um, that could open up things as well uh, for teams like that coming over from the Pac-12 where there's been a lot of, uh, I guess, not unrest, but just a poorly handled management in in that conference. Now you get on a bigger stage, bigger teams, um, and get a different pool of players to recruit now. and I think this, the same applies for the SEC, bringing over Oklahoma and Texas, uh, two huge brands. I think there's a lot more opportunity now with you know, the Giant and the Big Ten gone, the Giant and the SEC gone. Now there's a little bit of uh, who's going to be that next Giant. And I think you've got candidates in each conference, um, but I think it just opens up college football as a whole. And uh, as Jace alluded to, three college football playoff teams now with new head coaches um, at the helm this upcoming season. Kalen DeBoer, formerly at Washington, now at Alabama. Jim Harbaugh, formerly at Michigan, now to the NFL. And Jed Fish, formerly at Arizona, where he did such a great job this season there. Um, uh, Noah Fifita, their quarterback there, didn't start till the fifth game of the year against USC and after that never looked back a great season for him and and and, and Jed Fish I should say I uh, should say uh, did a great job retooling that team through the portal uh, getting guys like Justin Flo uh, uh, Bill Norton came over from Georgia just retooling I think he did a really great great job there and I think he'll do the same at Washington um, but out of the teams that made it to the college ball playoff last year with new coaches 
Uh, which has the best chance to make it back? I still think it's Michigan, um, and I think it's because they're hiring in-house. I think that's going to go a long way to keeping a lot of that locker room together and keeping guys from entering the portal. Now, you still will probably have a few, um, but I don't think you'll see the kind of upheaval you've seen at Alabama where mm. you have 25, 30 guys entering the portal. Uh, I think you'll be able to keep a lot of that group together that, that was successful other than you know guys like McCarthy who's leaving for the NFL, Blake Corum is leaving for the NFL, mm-hmm. guys who are graduating. But the, the guys with eligibility left, a lot of them are probably going to want to stick around, yeah. um, and we'll get to talking about uh, Sharon Moore a little bit later, but uh, with a guy like him, I don't think they want to really go anywhere. They're going to be successful again. Washington second. Jed Fish, I think, is going to do a good job. He's done a good job in the portal already at Washington as well. Um, and I have Alabama third. They lost so much in the portal, mm-hmm. and I just don't know what they're going to look like yet next season at this point. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, th- I feel like Alabama might have the best shot just because it is still Alabama, no, no matter the way you cut it. I mean, of course, they're losing a ton of guys. Uh, DeBoer's coming in, but I mean, with DeBoer, he's won at every level that he's played at. Uh, it doesn't matter what kind of talent level he's really got in there. Uh, I mean, he took that first Washington team with not really his own recruiting class to like, what, 11-2 and two or something like mm-hmm. that in his first something year. Like uh, brought him to a uh, national title game this past year uh, with finally some sort of uh, established career. So uh, I think once he once this recruiting cycle ends, which is it's already over, and he can get some of these guys to stay with uh, what Saban was preaching to him, I, th- I think he can really make some noise. Still, uh, granted, as much noise as Saban, absolutely not. But uh, with that expanded playoff, I still think that they've got a legitimate shot. Yeah, the way I look at it, let's look at where Washington is now. Uh, in the Big Ten, and where Michigan is, also in the Big Ten. I, Michigan, let's, I guess we'll start with Michigan. First off, they lose J.J. McCarthy, lose Blake Corum, lose a lot of key contributors defensively. Um, and, and Sharon Moore, I think, is uh, a really good players coach. I think he's been in that system for a while. They respect him. They like him. But that's a big roster turnover. And something we talked about yesterday was Jim Harbaugh leaving. It's, it's not like McCarthy and all them were coming back. He could have had a chance to run it back with them. In my opinion, college football is a, a one- to two- to three-year process. Like, you have the same team, same core of the team for one to two years, and once that window is gone, then you kind of have to move on and refresh. And I think that's what Michigan is in next year um, because you've run it with McCarthy for, what, two and a half years now. Um, Corum's been there for three years, running all over the place. A lot of those key contributors defensively as well now on their way out. Um, Michigan, to me, I, I think does not have – as good of a chance as a couple of these other teams. Now, Washington loses a lot as well. Um, I think Jed Fish is a better hire than Sharon Moore. Um, but, you know, he keeps Will Rogers coming over from Mississippi State, entered the portal, took his name out. He will stay at Washington. But you also have to keep in mind who they're playing against. And uh, Oregon retains Dan Lanning. Um, uh, what's the guy? Dylan Gabriel from Oregon yeah. uh, going to mm-hmm. be the quarterback there. I don't see them taking much of a regression. Um, Ohio State. Um, they've got to get their quarterback situation figured out. But um, getting a guy like Caleb Downs in the portal, that's a huge boost uh, for their defense. Um, They return a lot as well. I think Ohio State would be the team to beat next year in the Big Ten. And uh, and Washington and Oregon and and Michigan, I think all these teams are going to kind of knock themselves out. Right now I'd say Oregon and Ohio State are the two best teams in the the Big Ten. So to me, I think it's Alabama has the best shot to make it back. Jalen Milrow returns. Um, Even though you lose a lot of recruits and a couple of those big players like Caleb Downs, they still got a lot of talent on that roster. Um, and uh, Proctor's a big miss for them as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, their their offensive guard or offensive tackle, um, but they've 
they've got the recruiting classes over the last three, four years to where they can be able to plug and play a couple of these guys in. Obviously, uh, DeBoer is going to bring a couple of his own in as well. Um, but I, I think that Washington loses a lot from last year. No Penix, no Jalen Polk, uh, no Rumadonze. Um, and then Michigan loses a lot as well. Alabama still has the the foundation of a one- to two-, three-year team still. So I think Alabama would have the best shot. Obviously, got to play Georgia, got to play Texas, Oklahoma, all these teams coming in now um, and that are still really good teams, by the way. Um, and obviously with the, the change of the divisions now, it's a little bit more open. Now just the two best teams play in the SEC championship. So now we could get a, a Texas-Georgia-Alabama matchup regardless of, of where they – you know, end up in the regular season. So, um, to me, it's Alabama, I think, is, is the best returning team. Um, now, let's move to Tennessee and get it from their perspective. Tennessee's path to the college football playoff, does it become easier with the coaching change-ups or, or at the top level, or does it remain the same? Easier. Uh, I think, you know, you take away a guy like Saban, who you only beat him once over the mm-hmm. course of the past mm-hmm. 17 years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you Now you have a fresh slate. And this this is kind of why I was doubting DeBoer. This is why I did not say they had the best chance to make it is because he's got to come in immediately and play in some big games in a conference that he has not coached in yet, uh, including a trip to Neyland Stadium. Arguably, I mean, here in Knoxville, we, we call it the hardest place to win. Uh, but that game will be very difficult to win for him because mm-hmm. of what Tennessee has coming in. Uh, but they have several games like that um, for Alabama. For Tennessee – uh, your your path gets easier. Your ceiling gets higher now. I think you probably win that Bama game, or at least it's more likely to be a win now than if Saban had stuck around. So your ceiling is now eleven and one. Yeah, and that you know you assume you win in Norman. You assume you win against Florida. Uh, you assume you don't slip up in a game like Kentucky. Uh, I don't think you lose to Mississippi State, but one of those games later mm. in conference play. Uh, but your ceiling is now much higher. I think ten and two would have gotten you in the playoff anyway with twelve teams, with the way mm-hmm. the berths yeah. are going to work, mm-hmm. um, and how that at-large system is, is going to be used. Uh, I think ten and two would have been good enough. Eleven and one certainly is going to be yes. good enough. And I think it also helps. There's no more divisions. You yeah. just got to be in yeah. the top two teams. You're not yeah. going to be sitting at home on conference championship weekend necessarily because you're behind Georgia. Yeah, you I, could just be playing them again. Yeah, I think eleven and one very well could make the SEC championship as well. And yeah, say Georgia goes twelve and zero, you lose to Georgia, you're eleven and one, you're going to play them again. Yeah. So yeah. I think that helps. Um, and there's several other like top teams that that may not just have gotten the auto berth before auto berth. You know, those at large mm-hmm. berths mm-hmm. like. So if Saban had stuck around, say Alabama loses to Georgia again, they probably slot in mm-hmm. underneath the Power Five champions. Yeah. Yeah. If Alabama now takes a, a step back from Saban, that opens up a spot. Michigan takes a step back, that opens up a spot. Um, so I think it just it makes the playing field more wide open. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And I mean, like down the road too, when you think about it, I mean, you're getting a Sabanless Alabama, so you can't really pitch your playing for the. <clears throat> you're playing for the best coach of all time. Right. I mean, you're getting more leeway with these recruits. I mean, you could trace it back to George McIntyre, who was mm-hmm. uh, in a recruiting battle with Tennessee and Bama, and Tennessee pulls it out. Uh, but, I mean, that fact, that saving factor is gone, so you're starting to be able to be in better races with uh, this Alabama team that has been perennial for so long, getting up like five, six, five-star recruits every year. Uh, so that, along with, uh, you know, diminished power in Washington and Michigan both mm-hmm. uh, being, you know, teams that could be looking for an at-large bid just because in the Big Ten, I mean, likely Ohio State or Oregon getting out, like you said, mm-hmm. uh, the, those two teams are going to be fighting for it and might be still – 
having to rechange identity, see what they're going to be looking like these next couple of years. Uh, it couldn't be a better time to be at Tennessee right now, especially uh, when you take in these uh, transfer classes, when you see the talent that's coming in right now. Uh, I mean, I think maybe the best days of UT football are upon us. Well, let's sure hope so. I think uh, with the opportunity you have now, no Nick Saban, a guy that you mentioned, I only have one win against in his time at Alabama. Um, and then you have a quarterback now that's supposed to be a generational guy. And so far, what we've seen from him, it, it fits the bill. Um, now it's just it comes down to execution and coaching. And I think um, two years ago we would have said, yeah, I mean this is this thing's going to work. And I don't, I haven't lost trust in Heupel, but last year was a little bit of a question mark. Okay, uh, kind of changed the offense up a little bit. wasn't as dynamic and fast paced as it was uh, two years ago. Saw great flashes in games, but couldn't finish them out. That Alabama game, that first half, oh my gosh, Tennessee's back. And then that second <laughs> half, and you're like, oh my goodness, what happened? Mm. Um, so that kind of stuff, in-game coaching and in-game adjustments is, I think, something that Nick Saban was so good at. Um, and now it's it's on Heupel to, to win that coaching battle um, with the players that you've recruited very highly and, and brought into this program. I think it all comes down to coaching. And now losing a guy in Nick Saban in your conference is a, is a huge step up, and I think it definitely increases Tennessee's chances to get to that point into in the season in, in the college football playoff. Um, now let's go to Michigan real quick. Uh, assistant Sharon Moore, uh, who coached the Wolverines during Harbaugh's absences this season, is being targeted to replace him. Is this the right move or settling? I, I think it's the right move. I've been high on Sharon Moore since he had this interim run mm-hmm. with Michigan, it included a win over a good Penn State team. Um, I've been kind of calling for them to make this move. I, I like players, coaches, hires more in college than I do at the pro level. I think at the at the college level they can work. Um, good culture guys. And we see it a little bit, I think, with Josh Heupel too. Great, great players coach. The players love to play for him, you can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, he Granted, he has more than that. We don't know what Sharon Moore has to offer beyond that yet, but I, li- I like this hire for them. Like I said, I think it keeps more of their team together. It keeps mm-hmm. them from being ravaged by the portal. You don't have a, a staff turnover either. You probably keep that same staff or a similar staff uh, that, that Michigan already has in place. Um, and I, I feel like you'd rather hire from the Harbaugh tree than take a chance on somebody that maybe is not proven, yeah. maybe has not been in the Big Ten yet. Um, Sharon Moore has been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's seen Harbaugh coach these games. He's learned from Harbaugh. So um, I like this hire a lot. Why Why look elsewhere for a guy that, like we saw in the Alabama case, might say no mm-hmm. uh, when you can just go ahead and hire him from in Yeah, yeah I, I absolutely think it's a good move. I mean, like you said, he, he coached and he head coached for like six games this year, yeah. uh, including a win over Ohio State, which was huge uh, in getting them into the college football playoff this year. Uh, and I think one thing, like you said, good players coach, I mean, even with Harbaugh out for those six games this year uh he still had everybody bought in and even like if he does end up getting that job um being able to retain those those guys that he's been working with for the last couple years, uh, maybe not seeing them uh, dip out into the portal, uh, keeping that talent in Michigan could be very uh, instrumental for them uh, down the line, especially when it comes to that expanded playoff. Could see them make another run at it once again. You know, we talked about with Bruce earlier the the transfer portal and how it would open up if you lose a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, obviously, it's back open for Michigan, um, but I'd be very interested to see if they decide to – uh, hire Sharon Moore uh, or, or move on from Sharon Moore, what that changes up, because then it could very well open up an, another school um, if they go get like a Matt Campbell from Iowa State or something like that. Um, I, I'm not saying that it's settling. I would like to look elsewhere, though. 
Um, I, I think Sharon Moore has proven that he's a, a, a really good culture guy, gets along with his players, knows what it's like to be a Michigan Wolverine. But this is too big of a program just to say, okay, let's hire the assistant. And I'm not saying that necessarily what they're doing, um, but I think they owe it to themselves to look around elsewhere and see if they can go get a bigger hire or a, a guy with a little bit more head coaching experience, right? Um, so I'm not saying it would be a settle, um, and I'm not necessarily saying it's the right move either. I'm kind of in between here. I just would like them to go out and look for a couple other options mm-hmm. as well before they make it a, a done deal. Um, real quick, right before we had to break, with the change-ups, uh, who is the best coach in college football right now? I think you have to say it's Kirby Smart at okay, Georgia. Yes. Um, I think it's the obvious answer with his pedigree that he's already built in a relatively short time, um, and he's got a lot of years left, a lot of success yet to have at Georgia. So that's the, that's the definite option. Uh, we had talked a little bit about uh, earlier about some guys I had written down, Mike Norvell, Dan Lanning. I think they could mm-hmm. be in the conversation uh, at some point if their success continues. I think Sarkeesian is starting to do that for himself mm-hmm. at Texas yeah. as well. Uh, not to the level of smart you know, by any means yet, but in a new college football like we have now, absolutely could be very soon. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with the Kirby Smart. I mean, like you said, he's already established himself as uh, a guy that can go out, get dudes, and win with said dudes. Uh, just had that slip up against uh, Bama in the SEC title game. We could have likely seen a three-peat for the first time in college football. So uh, without that slip up, uh, you know, I think this team might have done it. Uh, he proved a lot in that FSU game. Of course, uh, FSU not not the same team that we thought that or that we saw for the most part. But still, if beating a team by sixty is uh, especially a Power Five, top five ranked, top five six ranked team, uh, still impressive. Uh, I think he's still these recruits are still rolling in. I don't think too much changes on that end. Yeah, I, I'd agree with Kirby Smart. Kind of a little bit of a softball question, but I just want to make sure we were all on the same page here. Yeah, um, yeah Kirby, very well. We could be having a totally different conversation about the landscape of college football if they were able to win another championship yeah. this year, a third in a row, which had been for the first time since 1942. Um, so uh, I think Kirby has proven himself uh, at Georgia and is, is always a, a tough – uh, a tough game to play against, a tough guy to play against. So Kirby Smart remains one for me. Um, I, I think Mike Norvell, Dan Lanning are guys that could definitely encroach on that. Dabo Sweeney as well, if he um, figures out that we're in 2024 and, and Transfer Portal and NIL are still very important. Um, and that's no shade to him, but you have to adjust, and he hasn't. And a lot of these coaches now that we're talking about have adjusted and look where they are now. When we come back, it's our best bets here on Overtime. White Claw is taking hard seltzer to new heights with White Claw Surge. At 8% alcohol, White Claw Surge is a stronger wave of refreshment that doesn't compromise on taste. Available in four bold waves of flavor like ripe blackberry, citrusy blood orange, zesty natural lime, and tart cranberry. Check out your favorite retailer in-store and online for the White Claw Surge variety 12-pack and 16-ounce single-serve cans. White Claw Surge, please drink responsibly. Is your home's exterior in need of a makeover? If so, it's time to call North Knox Siding and Windows. Transform your home's curb appeal with premium siding options. From classic to modern styles, they've got something to suit every taste. Upgrade to energy efficient windows that'll keep your home comfortable all year round while saving you money on your energy bills. North Knox Siding and Windows, get ready to fall in love with your home all over again. Online at Northnock Siding and Windows. 
Parkside.com. Are you ready to elevate your driving experience? Then you need to head over to your hometown dealership, Parkside Kia, home of the lifetime warranty. Discover the latest Kia cars and SUVs where technology meets style. Our friendly staff is here to make your car buying experience a breeze. Don't wait. Visit Parkside Kia today and drive home in the Kia of your dreams. Check them out online at parksidekia.com and visit their showroom at 9929 Parkside Drive. Parkside Kia, where your journey begins. Are you tired of looking at that piece of furniture that is wore down but you don't want to get rid of it? Go see our friends at Sun Upholstery and Fabric. Locally and family owned and operated with over 67 years of combined experience. Located at 8913 Oak Ridge Highway, give them a call today at 865-237-3272 or visit them online at fabricsun.com. That's fabricsun.com and be sure to tell Stan that you heard about him right here on Fan Run Radio. Are you ready to make your dream home a reality? Hi, I'm Bo Kregner, and here at the Kregner Group at Realty Executives, we know that finding the perfect home is more than just a transaction. It's about finding your sanctuary, your future, your happiness. Our team is dedicated to guiding you every step of the way, ensuring a smooth and stress-free journey towards home ownership. Whether you're buying, selling, or investing, we're here to help. Call me anytime at 865-742-1035 or just visit us online at bonoshouses.com. Rogers Utility Solutions, a division of Rogers Hydrant Service, is a family-run Tennessee-based business since 2015. Now serving municipalities and residences in 14 states, Rogers offers fire hydrant flow testing, distribution flushing, and maintenance programs in accordance with ISO standards. Rogers also offers hydrant repair and installation, and they have the capability of repairing hydrants under pressure. For more information on Rogers new sewer maintenance program complete with mapping cleaning and camera inspecting visit rogershydrantservice.com back here on overtime for our best bets of the night uh, we had a, a couple of sweaters last night. We were just talking about it at the break. Uh, Dawson and I were on different sides of the Auburn-Alabama game. He had four and a half for the Tigers. I had three and a half for the Tide. Uh, game ended up closing as a four-point win for the Tide, so we both win. Um, Joshy Boy, one of our favorite callers, uh, he also had three and a half with me. We all cashed. Um, so that was a, a fun betting moment. Not They're not always fun, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, so here are my two best bets of the night. We begin with the San Francisco Dons heading on the road to play Gonzaga tonight. Uh, I've got them at plus nine. Uh, the Dons have shined the brightest on defense this season, ranking 10th in the nation in points allowed on a per-possession basis and fourth when playing on the road. Uh, Gonzaga is not the same Gonzaga team that uh, the logo carries weight for uh, usually. This is a team that I think is a little bit over-evaluated. Um, obviously, or actually as well, when we were talking about our, our bracketology, uh, Joe Lenardi has Gonzaga as the first team out as it stands right now. Um, not the same Zags team. I like San Francisco plus nine tonight. Now, my grossest bet of the night <laughs> and probably of the past couple of weeks is Oregon State plus 18 um, at home against Arizona. Now, Oregon State sucks. Uh, there's no way around that. Um, but Arizona has dropped two in a row on the road to inferior opponents in Washington State and Stanford. And in those games, Arizona was favored by 12.5 points against Stanford and uh, 9 points against Cougars. Both lost 
of them, uh, both lost both of them outright. Um, I'm taking Arizona. Uh, I'm fading Arizona here, I should say, um, based on the, the fact they've not played well on the road this year, and they've been very hot and cold in a lot of these games as of late. Oregon State plus 18, a lot of points. I know it's gross, but give me Oregon State plus 18 tonight at home where Arizona struggled on the road. Oh, he had to stop doing this, man. I've, I go on the opposite side of you again. I took the Zags at minus 9.5. I don't know. Um, because they're on home floor. Uh, they're 8-1 yeah. and one on home floor, and their wins on home floor are massive. I think they had a win about 42 on their last effort on home floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, it yeah, it's a tough spot with San Francisco playing as well as they are defensively, but w- with that record on home floor and the only loss coming to a Final Four team last year in San Diego State, uh, this, this is a great spot, I think, for them to get another win um, and just overwhelm. San Francisco on offense. Good defense, but the Zags still have a good offense. That's still one of the things they're good at, uh, and I think they'll overwhelm them in points. My other one in college basketball tonight is also a little bit weird. I got Grand Canyon at minus one and a half at Stephen F. Austin. Grand Canyon's a very good team. 17-2 and two so far this year. Their last five wins before a loss. They lost to Seattle in their last time out. Uh, but their last five wins for that by double digits in conference play. It's a bounce-back spot for them on the road. Uh, and I love this one-and-a-half number for a team like this in a bounce-back spot. Uh, it's very easy to get that, at least on a cover, um, on that number. Grand Canyon shooting the ball at 48% clip. Very good offensive team. I like them on the road as well. I go back to the NBA. There is a decent NBA slate tonight. Sixers minus four-and-a-half at Indiana. Indiana's still without Tyrese Halliburton. There's no reason to believe they, they should beat a Sixers team with Embiid coming off a 70-point performance. I don't think he'll have 70 tonight. Yeah. Um, but he's, he's able to give them enough, I think, without Halliburton on the other side that they should easily cover it, minus 4.5. That's, mm-hmm. that's a good number as well for them on the road. Yeah, I've, Tonight I've got Tarleton State, the Texans, minus 6.5 against Southern Utah. That Southern Utah team is not good, 6-12. and 12. They played some close games against, like, uh, I think Grand Canyon, I think they've played them pretty close, but uh, I don't think they will. Tarleton State at home, uh, they played good against UT. I, I think they'll try to get uh, up to start a little win streak here, try to get to three in a row. Uh, got UT Martin repping the hometown boys tonight, minus 10.5 versus the SEMO Redhawks. SEMO has been struggling on the road in the OVC, uh, and the Skyhawks have started off pretty solid in the OVC, uh, and they've got a guard in Jordan Sears who's averaging just about 20 points a game this year. Uh, I think he's going to continue that. Uh, UTM will win at the Elam Center tonight, and I am also hitting Sixers minus four and a half at the Pacers. Like you said, still down Halliburton are the Pacers, and I think MB is going to continue uh, with his MVP season tonight. And a regular night in college basketball, but the DJs in us have you covered. <laughs> um, San Francisco minus, or excuse me, plus nine for me, as well as Oregon State plus eighteen. Your your bets. Gonzaga minus nine and a half. Grand Canyon minus one and a half. Sixers minus four and a half. And I've got Tarleton State minus six and a half. UT Martin minus ten and a half. And Sixers minus four and a half as well. All right. Wish us luck. All right. Uh, when we come back in the next hour, we'll talk about the NFL head coaching carousel. It's heating up when we come back here on Overtime. been the coach who realized the team's gear just 